Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello, Ding Dongs. This is Tim from The Worst Idea, and this is a Worst Idea slash Cult Pop Show crossover episode. Uh, this was an idea that came up organically on my streaming show, Happening. Um, AJ, who's one of the hosts who you'll hear from in just a mo, uh, where he's got this segment called actual movie or cheese dream where he pitches me the plot or a synopsis of a film and i have to discern whether this is a real movie that exists in the world uh, or if it's something that aj concocted in his brain after too much dairy and an early night and he threw the movie which we ended up watching at me at me on air and i had a vague awareness of 9-11 starring charlie sheen uh, obviously I'd never seen it and I wasn't a hundred percent if it was real, but it turns out it was, and we watched it together as two podcasts. So we've done this crossover episode, um, weird fucking film. You're going to hear all about it. Please subscribe to cult pop Shit. If you enjoy us, you'll probably enjoy them too. Good Kiwi lads in the South Island, um, who are doing a really excellent movie review podcast series where they have lots of special events and they do like franchises at a time and really, um, get into the nitty gritty and dissect film a little bit better than Guy and I do. Um, AJ, you'll also hear on the podcast because I reference it, but he, he, I'll tell you at the top, made this, uh, fantastic American Pie video essay, which is like, 15 minutes long on youtube which you should check out the um link to that is in the episode show notes but without further ado please enjoy this crossover episode of cult popsha and the worst idea of all time everyone if you're uh listening on the <laughs> cult popsha stream hi here's someone you don't know and if you're listening on the worst <laughs> idea stream uh everyone say g'day to aj and richard hey hi thanks, thanks for having us on on both streams or thank you for coming on <laughs> Th- depending on how you're listening what us. if i'm not listening on either stream but i am a part of the conversation how do i how do i fit in 
Uh, you um, are to look and not to touch. You can listen, <laughs> but you can't participate. So I just instructed all the people listening on those two streams to say hello. If you're not on either of mm. those streams but absorbing this content, um, you keep your fucking mouth shut, please. That would be <laughs> that would be appropriate. Um, yeah, AJ, this <laughs> this what did I guess in the end? I can't even remember. Did I guess this was real? Yeah, you said you'd heard of it, um, and. So you knew it was real, and then you suggested that we do a Cole Popcher Worst Idea crossover to talk about it, and then you said, does that sound like a good idea, Monty? Sing out in the comments. And the comments were silent. Guy did not say a peep, <laughs> um, which thus sealed his fate to watching a Charlie Sheen 9-11 film. <laughs> so for a bit of context as well, because th- this really struck me as I was watching particularly because I was quite hungover. Um, mm-hmm. Yesterday, I spent the entire day putting a quiz together for a bunch of mates and then hosted that during the evening on a Zoom call. And uh, so I had quite a lot of beers while I was presenting it. <laughs> Thus, this morning, while I was watching 9-11 on Easter Monday in the middle of a pandemic, I was like, <laughs> what has my fucking life become that this is all these convergences um, you know, happening to me? Mm. But the movie itself... I mean, I I did a little background research and reading, and I don't think I ever saw the trailer for this, but the trailer came out and everyone was like, this thing is uh, evil, like straight up evil. It shouldn't exist in the world. Um, Charlie Sheen's a bad guy. Everyone involved in this film is Not just a bad guy, but specifically on the record as a 9-11 truther. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, big time. Which I understood was not especially well received. Yeah, I got to say, I, <laughs> as someone who was just at the mercy of three other people's decision making, I resent every single fucking one of you for this. That was an abomination. It was <laughs> really? like just ninety minutes inside of a life where ninety minute windows are already flying by at a rate of knots yeah. because of a, a slew of bad decisions I at least have taken part in making. So to just be told that I'm watching a Charlie Sheen 9-11 movie in the middle of all this felt so bad. And then the movie itself somehow let down like whatever low bar I'd set it to clear. The only saving grace was I felt like the entirety... So the, the basic premise of the film is... We're in New York City. It's the uh, 11th of September in the year 2001. I've heard of it. And everyone's setting up their lives. They're going to go about their days. And five people's lives converge in an elevator in one of the towers in the Twin Towers. Well, hold on. Do it right, Monty. The start of the film, we are introduced... Firstly, to a couple singing happy birthday in a key that they cannot pull off far too high. <laughs> and it's a tricky song at the best of times, but they've started at such a high octave, they can't possibly make it to the end of the song. So we've got I've this gorgeous there. little three-piece family. <laughs> we've all, we've all uh, tripped <laughs> over that mistake. Then we meet a woman with her pug who seems to be living alone in a gorgeous um, that apartment. Was, uh, probably the most harrowing part of the movie is that Te- seemingly 10 to- seconds to 10 minutes that we spent with her looking in the mirror. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. I felt unsafe and did not want to spend any more time in the film with her, knowing full well I would have to, but I was like, this woman is clearly not ready for the day and she's got no idea what's coming. But yeah. then we get quickly introduced to the third lead character, which is World Trade Center Building 2. <laughs> like, they go, shot, shot building they're like don't worry we didn't forget what we're doing yeah 
No, no, don't. I, I'm I'm certain that we meet Whoopi Goldberg in a wig before we meet one of the two towers. We I see Whoopi Goldberg true. swanning into a diner. The pacing on this movie, like they left an extra half a second after every line and shot, at least for the first 20 minutes. I felt like they just left a little bit of space. I don't know why. It made me really uneasy. And then this was all leading into what I wanted to say about it before we sort of we can launch into the conversation in earnest. But I kind of, in a very perverse way, got a kick out of all of the scenes with the five of them in the elevator. Like when they were sort of waiting for something to happen to the elevator. It felt like watching five improvisers who had done an ask for inexperienced improvisers <laughs> who had done an ask for in a bad taste improv night had been given 9-11 asked for a setting got given elevator and then they were like well we don't have the confidence to override what we've been given so we're going to do the scene now and you're yeah. just watching five people try and build a world like it was disastrous all of their dialogue all of their interpersonal connections it was abysmal. In a, in a way, it's 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 Charlie Sheen's nine eleven in in context of like his own career as well, right? Like this is the equivalent of nine eleven within Charlie Sheen's already pretty tumultuous career. Do you? I mean, I don't know that this this felt like an extra nail in a pretty well nailed down coffin to me with respect to Charlie Sheen. Yeah, I don't think this is his lowest point by any means. No. Oh, I, I do, well, maybe not in his personal life, but in in his movie career, I I think this is probably the worst Charlie Sheen thing I've seen. What's worse uh, than this? Hey, am I alone in thinking that this wasn't the worst movie? Uh, oh, you're not alone. I, like it was bad, <laughs> but it's nowhere near my like bottom ten worst films I've ever seen. I didn't think it was that bad at all. Like. <laughs> okay. I think you Truly, might I, I mean, yeah, look, I was shocked. And maybe it's the very low low bar that I had set for myself going into watching the film. But, like, I don't know. I thought there were genuinely some really good acting performances in it. Um, Louise Guzman's always a treat, mm. uh, you know, when he pops up in a movie. And he's, like, one of the lead characters. And I just, the producer of me was just so... Um, tickled by the obviously low budget they had but the very <laughs> inventive way that they had approached such a huge subject matter like 9-11 is arguably the defining day of our generation like mm-hmm. it is the the thing that changed the entire world for people who grew up around our time people around our age yeah yeah and yet they made this film and i really desperately tried searching around the internet for what the budget was seemingly for about i don't know 100 grand 200 grand maybe no. it's basically a one room sitcom tv episode it's a play yeah it it is. Is a we play. just watched a play what is a play it's yeah. a play called elevator oh seriously yeah which apparently is really good yeah it, that's that's what you were picking up on guy it's an actual play <laughs> I, I can definitely see the play and like I can also see how it would be good and then mm. it, I think that yeah there is something about the assembly of the cast which immediately turns you off the idea like Whoopi Goldberg not so much I couldn't stop imagining though every time I saw Whoopi Goldberg on screen I couldn't imagine I couldn't stop picturing the director saying okay that's a wrap for today and Whoopi Goldberg walking off the set and across the studio lot to the desk on the view and starting <laughs> um, working there. Then 
Can I, I really want to hear Richard's thoughts, but before, because you've tripped over this, I want to give you a quote from a Hollywood reporter interview with Charlie Sheen about this movie. The only thing that was difficult is they shot all of Whoopi's stuff first because she had to get back to her show. So (laughs) all we had was her recorded voice through the intercom for that scene. I was happy to finally be in a film with her, but sad that we didn't get to do any scenes together. (laughs) That stinks of a very specific contract stipulation, you know, that was contingent on Whoopi's involvement <laughs> in the film. You could be right. Richard, yeah. what did you make of this? Did you did you hate it? Did you um, love it? Were you somewhere right. in between? Yeah, so I was, um, t- to me, this is like a, a two-star movie. It's not quite a, a one or a half star. Um, there definitely were moments when I felt the tension I was supposed to be feeling in the film. Uh, there's a scene where they're trying to unlock... That like they're in the elevator, they manage to pry the doors open, they're trying to unlock something that's like outside the elevator and on top of it. And I for a moment I was like, this is actually this this scene could be in a better movie. Um and <laughs> What a good what a what high praise for nine <laughs> eleven. What um, this scene could be in a better movie, two stars. <laughs> <laughs> it's very complimentary for this Charlie yeah. Sheen vehicle. But um should we go over um who our who our main cast are? Because we've kind of touched on it. Um, yeah, go for it, man. So, so we've got um, Metsy as as Whoopi Goldberg's character, who's like a uh, she's like the elevator command center at the World Trade Center. Um, yeah, if you've seen uh, the Matrix Two, Matrix Reloaded, there's the Keymaster um, who has the keys for all the doors. Whoopi Goldberg is that for yeah. elevators in the World Trade Center <laughs> complex. Yeah, she she's the man in the chair, and she's the one. She's the only one who knows that nine eleven is currently happening. Um, and she kind of uh, relays that to our main characters who, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, we've got Jeffrey, who's Charlie Sheen's character, who's a a billionaire. And in a throwaway line, it's revealed he once owned like either three or five stories of the World Trade Center. Can I um, say yeah. this? A billionaire with a heart of gold. One thing <laughs> that they really wanted you to take away from this movie is that billionaires have at least like 0.01% empathy, they kept hammering this angle where he'd say, uh, well, at one point he said to um, Edward, is he the, was he the janitor sort of? Eddie the janitor? Eddie, Eddie. yeah. Yeah. He says, the custodial engineer, I think is what he referred to himself as. He, he, He says to him, hey, if you want to start gambling again, I'm your guy. While he's literally got his arm outside the elevator in an inferno trying to save his life. And then later on, he says very condescendingly to the cyclist, did you ever hear the one about the billionaire who hires a bike messenger? And the bike messenger said no. And then Charlie Sheen says, you just did. And then, like, we're meant to be like... Yeah, that line was crazy. We're meant, we're meant to say to ourselves, oh, wow, this billionaire rocks. Yeah. That was. Do you know Charlie Sheen, he rewrote that character in the play. He's a real... That billionaire is a, an asshole to everyone. And Charlie Sheen was like, that, this movie's sad enough as it is. I'm going to make him like The billionaire needed to be an asshole. Like, yeah. it's, it was so boring watching Charlie Sheen crowbar his piss-weak, like, redemption story into <laughs> 9-11 through a billionaire character. It was driving me fucking nuts. He was so obviously an asshole. Like, all I want to watch is Charlie Sheen playing an asshole. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, because, then- embrace it. Run towards it. Don't run away from it. Because when they're running away from it, you can see it on screen. You can see the distance between who they are and who they want <laughs> us to think they are. But if he was like, I'm going to play the asshole. It's called acting. Convince it. No. <laughs> that wasn't acting. That was like, 
an apology told through a very bad exploitation film. The, the, the worst part is not only that um, the billionaire is the heart of gold character, but the African-American bike messenger is racist and has to, has to learn to overcome his prejudices. You know, the, the, by the end of the film, the bike messenger, um, what's his name? Michael, he learns that, you know, you know, maybe not every white, rich white man is what what you maybe think they are. Maybe you need to 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 stop judging people before you get yeah. to know them. He gets scolded for not respecting a white billionaire in an elevator during nine eleven <laughs> by the woman who's divorcing the billionaire. He says, "You shut your yeah. fucking mouth when you're talking about my." It's a, yeah. It's a very ethnically diverse cast and yet charlie sheen is like the the true north morality you know um (laughs) cornerstone of the whole thing yeah which does sound insane when you say it out loud Mm. uh richard do you want to keep going through the cast uh so we've got gina gershon as eve uh who's the woman who is divorcing uh jeffrey charlie sheen uh despite Mm -hmm. his character being so upstanding and they're clearly still in love and she doesn't really seem to have anything against him at any point in the film, um, apart from the fact that he's making the divorce difficult. Oh, he he missed every milestone. I think so, sometimes mm. that sort of everyday interpersonal morality and pure essence comes at the cost of a committed family man. And I, I feel like that is from whence the divorce was coming. Mm. While while he had fundamental decency towards everyone he came across in his life, uh, I think the money came out of his his home life, and I am in a way by saying this defending the movie, even though what I was saying was meant to be a piss take because I fucking hate the movie <laughs> and all of the characters contained therein. So I continue, Richard. Uh, and finally, uh, rounding out the cast in the elevator is Tina, who. Um, is probably the least fleshed out. She's got. She's implied to have some kind of sugar daddy, um, but she says, "You don't know me. You don't know a goddamn thing about me." Um, and then we don't learn anything really from that, <laughs> so we continue to not know a goddamn thing about her. No, it's sort of. It's very gently suggested she might have a problem with prescription meds. Mm. It's. I don't think that. that you guys are treating these as breadcrumbs. It's explicitly stated she's in an emotionally abusive relationship with a much older rich man who's bought her apartment and everything she owns, and she's got a pill problem. That's layers, people. <laughs> that is some flaws on our character. It's not that the layers aren't there. It's that the character arcs are never uh, rounded up by the end, so it doesn't yeah. feel well, like Sorry, the- a plane <laughs> fell into the building. <laughs> we don't have time for character arcs. What, are you telling me that the movie about 9-11 got <laughs> derailed and functioning as a movie because of actual 9-11? <laughs> I'm just saying they've got a pretty good reason to keep the and, and all so no, I don't no, think anyone no. should. You don't get to make a movie about nine eleven, and then that be the excuse that parts of the movie didn't work. That is fucking well, crazy. I would tell you what. To its credit, it came in with credits included at a crisp ninety one minutes. Oh, and I would, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would, yeah. um, 
Challenge anyone to take shots at its duration. It was the perfect length. Trotting for a out the movie. ninety minute duration like defense is one of the weakest plays <laughs> in the, this movie's okay fucking playbook. We've all been all four of us have been reviewing very terrible movies for very long time. And ninety minutes is always the like the one shining light in any of these movies when yeah. they have it. So maybe we do need to strike that from the pros list of when we're talking about <laughs> these bad movies. Well, yeah, sorry, uh, Richard, in your car, in your cast call, I feel like we didn't cover the cyclist. Who was acting as the cyclist? Uh, so, cycle, uh, cyclist was a guy called Wood Harris as Michael. Um, so he's the racist one whose racism is never brought up again. Um, <laughs> but we presume he overcomes it because and, he yeah. accepts a job offer from the billionaire. Well, as as Tim said, uh, we don't really have time to tie up all of these loose ends because I don't know if you fucking <laughs> noticed, Richard, but a plane has crashed <laughs> into the Twin Towers. <laughs> Uh, is that guy? Has that guy been in anything else? Like, are uh, these a, a, aside from say there were three actors I recognised, and then the other three rounding out the cast? I was like, who the hell are these people? Is that fair, or am I an ignorant? Wood Harris is Avon Barksdale in The Wire. If you've ever seen The Wire, I've yeah. not seen The Wire, but I understand that that is uh, at the opposite end of the cultural spectrum from this film. Yeah, yeah he's mm. also in yeah. the Creed movies. Um, He's an Ant Man apparently, and um, it's later around twenty forty nine. So they've got this is a this is an all star so, cast, yeah, adapting a of critically sorts. revered play. I mean, in in the same way that like Charlie Sheen is a movie actor technically, <laughs> but you know, like Whoopi Goldberg has been in lots of movies, but would we call her a you know top shelf? Well, she's an Oscar talent? winner. She's an EGOT winner, actually. Well, mm. exactly. There you go. But it's, I it's thought, still. I thought Whoopi, Whoopi Goldberg. I thought Whoopi brought it. I thought Whoopi did a did a pretty good job. <laughs> well, mate, no complaints from me. I thought she had a great <laughs> performance. I I like Louise Good Guzman. I thought that um, nah. the woman playing Eve, who I forget the name of, she's in like uh, um, G- Gina Gershon. And what's she in? Um, uh, I only know her from Brooklyn Nine Nine. Oh, I didn't even know she was she's in that. She's got a few episode arc of that. Um. Oh, what else? I thought in? she was surprisingly good. Yeah. Oh, she's the she's in Bound, the Wachowskis film. I haven't seen Bound. I think one thing to sort of unpack here is the fact that like this is based on a play, right? And by all accounts, as we said before, the play is good. So therefore, why is the film eleven percent on Rotten Tomatoes? And I think not by audience decree only the critics choice yeah. i what, only look I, at critics baby what did the audience critics hated it what do the audience think 42 to- Ah, a, a, a glowing 42% <laughs> by the audience-submitted reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. So, For a movie that looked like it was made over the course of three weekends, that's not bad. <laughs> How can, but, like, you can't go into making a movie about something as... Uh, elevated in the public eye and as sensitive to so many people as 9-11, especially if you've got like headline cast, maybe not as present day movie stars, but cast members who do have some cachet or draw and then like grade it on a curve of, well, they had no budget. Like if you're going to do this, why not? If you're adapting a revered text, why not do it right? Why not go to the trouble of making the movie as best as you possibly can instead of just Mm. like what feels like pushing it punching it out in the hopes that Charlie Sheen will be likable in the eyes of the American public again. I actually think, I I did a little bit of research, and what I understand happened is that uh, the director, like, signed on to the film, 
and um, you know found this play, thought it was great, decided to adapt it, and he. It was his idea. He was like, Charlie Sheen is the perfect person to play this character. <laughs> and he turned down the film initially. Um, and then he kept on coming back to him and said, like, you know, um, and like explained the story to him. And Charlie Sheen came on and said, all right, I'll do it if I can have a producer credit and you have to give me like a once over of the script. And so I think he essentially was able to round out the cast by like calling his mates. And um, he rewrote the character as we mentioned earlier to be this lovable billionaire but then also he changed the ending of the play um to for what we see in the film so um the film ends with um everyone except for charlie she manages to get out of the elevator and there's a firefighter that's there um you know trying to get it fruitlessly trying to get him out and then we hear the building start to collapse on them and as they're like they're holding hands because he was trying to pull them out of the elevator uh they're you know they're holding hands and then the building collapses and the film ends we don't catch up with any of the family that we were cutting to throughout the film we don't um cut away to uh how everyone else in the elevator is dealing with the fact that um you know this this lovable billionaire has just passed away the guy who offered them jobs um, you know that genuinely crossed my mind when it looked like he wasn't (laughs) going to make it i was like oh he hasn't even had time to work these heroes into his will Mm. these poor bastards (laughs) on the same day as 9-11 have been offered these life-changing jobs that will now never come to fruition yeah but thank God he never actually signed the divorce papers that his wife kept pushing <laughs> oh, yeah. while they were in the middle of this catastrophe because she presumably will now be the executor of his estate. Yeah, true. Ah, this is all good stuff that's better than the movie. <laughs> it's making a statement, though. His, his like, insistence. A sequel, 9-12. <laughs> his insistence on, appear- on dying at the end with the firefighter is, like, making a statement about, like, these two are equals. The real firefighters that gave their lives... To save people on 9 11 are just as important as this fictional billionaire played by Charlie Shane. <laughs> yeah. Of all the people they're trying to make me feel sorry for, like, if you if you are making me um, feel emotional about the 9 11 story and you do that by go- by hanging all the, the associated feelings with it on a single protagonist, you do it with the one type of person that I don't really care if they die. Like, <laughs> and, and the world will be better if the billionaire dies. And that's the character that you choose to hang this all on? Portrayed by one of the most unliked, <laughs> famous people in Hollywood. Like... I wrote down in my notes, oh, okay, Charlie Sheen's telling people not to do drugs. (laughs) That's something his character does in this movie. It's like, you know, you've got some acting chops, dude, but I'm not buying that for a second. Yeah, I I, I mean, yeah, I thought that parts of the movie I enjoyed, I did enjoy the use of news footage. And, like, I did enjoy, obviously, it was also a budget workaround, the way that they would contextualize it by, like... You were there in real time as 9-11 developed and you were given a baseline understanding of what that experience was like as, you know, the the day progressed and the the events progressed. Yeah, and I thought... Um, don't you think that that's just like stealing real emotion rather than putting mm, it in the film themselves? Absolutely, mm. but this it, it is, works. This is the big question for, 9/11, for the movie, not the event. It's like... <laughs> 
is is this because i think this is all the criticism that was leveled at it when the trailer came out because the trailer and i still haven't seen the trailer but i was just reading some of the criticism apparently focused a lot on that shot where the elevator drops yeah Yeah. and they're all kind of like careening through the air which is one of the more cartoonish moments (laughs) of the entire film the rest of it is actually centered to varying degrees of success on the very human stories of the small cast of characters in an even smaller space having to like exist with each other through this perilous time together and their interaction. And I think a lot of people got like caught up by how um, exploitative and cartoonish the trailer made this movie out to be. But like, this is the big question. Was this movie? Cause I didn't find this movie super exploitative myself. And I think it could have been, but it didn't. And I think one of the reasons it wasn't is because it very wisely chose to tell a really tiny story Mm, it didn't focus on any of the big sweeping events it didn't focus on like the huge numbers of people who were affected or how or try to like go into the lives of the firefighters it was going here's some average people who you know were caught up in this day in this Uh, event i i agree with that which is I think also part of what made it such a frustrating watch and made me really not like the movie is like <laughs> that is the the right tack. I agree, but from what I've heard from uh, Richard, like I, I just Charlie Sheen's insistence on inserting himself into like uh, inserting his his own life into the film, and you, the, I, I just it, it I I agree. It didn't feel as exploitative as I was afraid it would. But I also think, and I, I do think choosing a small story to tell, which is what plays through really well, and like you can see how this works to play, and having that, you know, be the vessel through which we access the experience and all of the, you know, the, how, how devastating 9-11 was is really interesting. But it's the same thing where, as before, we, we were saying, well, none of the story introductions or the character beats or the, the conflict, the internal conflict even within these people that's introduced is really expanded upon. Like the only character <laughs> given the breathing room to really flesh out their very thin backstory again is is Charlie Sheen. And so while the idea is sound and like it does prevent the movie from being as offensive as perhaps it, it, it might have been, it is it's also there's a the seed of frustration grows from that point as well. Where it's like this could have genuinely been you know, premise alone, this is a this is a quite an interesting idea. Mm, but yeah. it's, just, it's, it's almost like they should remake it. Well, okay, <laughs> we should this, remake this is what it. I was. <laughs> we are the characters. Now, this is <laughs> this is sort of what I was I was thinking about. Was that I, I wanted to answer the question: Why is the play well received and the movie is not? And like there there is a almost you could almost call it a genre of like the one room play right like the real time character yeah. like cast of of very defined characters having a conversation in one room and it, it translates to film in various degrees i think that the reason this the movie is bad um, and it's not because of Whoopi Goldberg, because she can do serious stuff. I've got no problem with Whoopi Goldberg being in a serious movie. Um, and it's not just because of I'll pass of it on to Shane. her people. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not just because of Charlie Sheen, though. I think he is a hefty part of it. I think it just is that you go, 
okay, here's the premise. It's four people, four strangers stuck in an elevator during 9-11. You go, oh, cool. So it's five, more about five, their yeah, interpersonal um, struggles and the way they, you know, their backstories. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what are their backstories? And their backstories are the most lazily and boring <laughs> ones you can think. Oh, there's a, there's a divorced couple. There's someone who's missing their daughter's birthday. Um, also, he's racist. Yeah, and he's racist. Um, there's there's someone who's um, worked there. That's their story. They have an angry wife. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're you're fucking really right about that. You're making me see this. I think I got so overcome with like the sort of the inventiveness of making a film like this on no budget mm. of putting it all in one room because I only found out that it was based on a play like at the credits when it said that it was based on Elevator. And I was like, this is how (laughs) you tackle the largest subject with the smallest sum. Mm. And I think another thing that really sold it to me, and you guys got to look this dude up. I think his first name's Martin. The guy who um, directed it. Oh, Martin Martin Guigui. Guigui. I think it's like, he's Argentinian. So I I don't know. I'm attempting a bit of a French pronunciation on it, but I'm not sure how to say his name. (laughs) Now, (laughs) well, I looked it up. I was like, how do you pronounce this name online? Because, you know, about to do the podcast and it only gave me French pronunciations. Um, This guy fucks in a very (laughs) serious way. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. He is, I think, a Grammy winning uh, producer. He is a sound engineer. He has made many movies. He's the director of both a record label and his own film production company. He does so much (laughs) shit. It's like, it's insane. And I think he, and I was trying to look this up as well. I assume he scored the movie in addition to directing it. And I thought that the scoring was good. He's sort of, he's fallen into the same 
trap as Neil Breen, I think, where it sounds like he's probably mm. taken on a little bit too much yeah. to properly <laughs> execute. Yes. If you if you look up Martin Guigui on uh, Rotten Tomatoes, highest rated movies, Swing at 42%, 9-11 at 11%, and Beneath the Darkness at 4%. Um, so those are his highest rated. Yeah. He also <laughs> directed the cream of the crop. This, like, um, this part sequel, part prequel to Raging Bull called The Bronx Bull, mm. and, and they got yes. like sued over it. Um, <laughs> because... Like, oh, do you know what needs fleshing out? Like, one of the greatest movies of all time. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, I don't that, know. That actually, maybe, maybe we'll that, do that next that time. Kind of, this is a question I wanted to ask earlier, Richard. And mm. uh, one that I think we, we, we brushed past or sort of incidentally ran into, which is... So, Tim, I think, speculated as to what happened after the movie, like the day after for the potential sequel 9-12 or whatever. <laughs> do fan fictions or theories that you create in your own mind as an extension of the movie you're watching count as credits towards the movie being good? Um, oh. I think um, if you have like to... Be, it, it depends. If you're having to try and um, fix things... Um, then it's you know it doesn't count towards it being good but if it's like the next day you're like oh man i can't get over that and you want to have more adventures with these characters um then i think that's good and maybe that's what tim was doing <laughs> is that what you were doing tim <laughs> yeah sure yeah that's what i was <laughs> the, doing the remaining four characters they're very the sequel is a very different movie obviously to 911 912 is about um a widow who has already got a lot of money, but suddenly has command of this entire Charlie Sheen empire of ego and I'm assuming crippling debt. <laughs> like he seems like the kind of guy who has over leveraged himself to the Absolutely. Hill. Absolutely. One of those like <laughs> on paper billionaires who actually is up to his eyeballs, but no one quite figures it out because he's kept the rat wheel turning while he's been alive. That's what I thought at the start when he's like, oh, you know, I used to own three floors on this building. I was like, this is a down on his luck. Yeah. You know, failed yeah. financier going through a messy divorce. And then afterwards, like after that sort of kernel of an idea is planted, we just watch everyone respect the idea that he's a, a well-known billionaire. Mm. Who's the guy who went to jail for like the biggest ever Ponzi scheme? Who was managing everyone's money? Oh, Bernie Madoff. Yeah, Bernie. he's like Bernie Madoff, <laughs> but a bit younger and yeah. still not in jail. So he dies. That's why he was quite happy to stay behind in the elevator at the end. <laughs> yeah. So what should have been a sort of um, Willy Wonka style, uh, you know, treasure hunt of of getting a um, um, this huge windfall, these just average characters who suddenly get all of this money. <laughs> Maybe they get roped into this debt laden empire and actually <laughs> then have to like get management roles and trying to keep the wheels turning. <laughs> that is interesting. That is a lot more fun. That's that's the, a yeah. good. That's it's legitimately different. a good sounding movie. Like yeah. using nine eleven as the backdrop to all that. Yeah, all of their unique skills come into play. So the one who's um, you know, like under the thumb of this older millionaire sugar daddy who's addicted to pills, her natural human empathy and experience with dealing with these egotistical older rich men comes out to play, where she just takes command of the boardroom and starts telling them what for and psychologically. <laughs> drilling into them you know that they need to ta start taking social responsibility for their employees we've got louise guzman's character what does he know about 
fucking infrastructure. <laughs> he has a look at all of these buildings that they're, they're planning to make, and he gives really great advice about how to make them like way better and way safer <laughs> and how to get better value for money. Then we've got Eve. She gets to hang out with her son. Finally, her time's been freed up. She doesn't have to worry about things as much. She can like focus on her family, which she's been prevented from doing. She can take him to acting classes, which he needs. Yeah. One, one thing I thought... <laughs> I thought she was good. Oh no, JJ was terrible. The child. Who's that? Wait, which? Who are we talking about? Oh, oh the, the kid. Ca- oh, fucking oh my hate. god. Yeah. yeah, the grandmother was the worst. <laughs> yeah, she was a disaster. Yeah, and I'd just like to say to Tim's point, one thing I d- definitely thought for Eve at the end of the movie was, well, that's a relief for her. Finally, her schedule's clear. Life is looking <laughs> pretty fucking cruisy for Eve on the tail end of this experience. I just want to say that I can't remember the character's name. I'm doing it. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna dig it up on IMDb quickly. Uh, Michael, this the cyclist delivery driver. I can see him becoming quite a terrifying arm of this sort of billionaire's empire's branch, where he he sort of goes out and he's a forward facing PR sort of spin doctor who says, "Hey, look, guys, we need to stop assessing all billionaires as equal and start mm. looking deeper into the humanity of them." <laughs> And, like, all of them have a story to tell. Except the Pakistani yeah. ones, who, as we all know, are up to no good. He, he specifically calls out Pakistani people um, in, in, when he, in his, like, little rant in the elevator. And if the movie is trying to squeeze the, the character development out of him, that through Charlie Sheen, he learns, as I said before, that not all rich white men are the same. That's actually the opposite of of becoming not racist anymore. <laughs> if, if, if you're if you're like the thing on your pillar is a, a, a rich white man, you haven't actually learned anything about um, poor Pakistani taxi drivers, which is the specifically the type of person he calls out. Um, not knowing if it was actually a yeah. Pakistani person who ran him over. but The real friend was the people who have been given up the biggest handout all along. Yeah. <laughs> you know, those those are the people who we've been vilifying for too long, um, the people who have got it the absolute easiest. One thing this movie did, which I'm not totally comfortable with, but I must confess on the podcast, is by the end of it, I was rooting for <laughs> the death of a character in a movie set. <laughs> On nine eleven, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> and I was so fearful that Charlie Sheen's character would make it out of the elevator alive. I was just like, no, no, no! Like the only way that this movie would even have one scintilla of respect remaining from me by its end was with if that guy was gonna. So the whole time and- you're like, fingers crossed, the building comes down. <laughs> no, no, no! I did not say that. I, I ideally would have liked to see the last person file out, including that first responder, and then they're like, "Is everybody out?" And then you hear Charlie Sheen from the elevator say, "Not quite," and then you hear the crush of the building collapse and the credits roll. <laughs> Guy, that's not too dissimilar to what happens in the um, series yeah. finale of Two and a Half Men. <laughs> <laughs> until, <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. So, so Charlie oh, you Sheen. Had to forgive me, I didn't quite make it that far. <laughs> no, 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 but the 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 <laughs> the final episode of Two and a Half Men is so impossibly lame, and this is more a indictment on Chuck Lorre than than Charlie Sheen. But as if you'll cast your minds back, you may remember that. But teacher's name's Chuck Lorre. Yeah, <laughs> I've uh, been what? calling him Chuck Law. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it is. I don't know, um, but the I've heard both actually. So I think law sounds better, but I, I think 
I, I want to believe it's Lore because it's a more interesting name, I guess. Um, as you were, sorry. So no, uh, so if you'll recall, Charlie Sheen leaves the show in a big huff, like really bad mouths two and a half men um, upon his rightly leaving. so. But, yeah, for sure. I do not like the show. I do not like the show. But by the end of it, the two there's there's only one of the two and a half titular men left on the cast. Um, and then is there not one uh, and a half? No, the half leaves as well. Yeah, <laughs> Jake. Um, he becomes like a born again Christian and speaks out against the show and leaves it. Like more or less leaves. It. I think he has a few appearances now and then. But also by this point, he's he's a man. He's not. I know that was anymore. the best part of the show, though. Was at the end of the credits when they would uh, sort of anthropomorphize a boy yeah, yeah. into a man in yeah. less than a second. <laughs> <laughs> and and he was replaced with Amber Tamblin, who played a a lesbian character, which is kind of an uncomfortable stand-in for half a man as a concept. But this is this is for a this is for a two and a half men deconstruction podcast. Anyway. Um, at the the last episode, two two and a half men, men. <laughs> the, the, the the last episode, they talk about how Charlie didn't die. Charlie in the show didn't actually die, and he's like exploiting the family for money. A very anti Charlie Sheen kind of message. Oh wow! It ends with um, f- shot from the back. Someone who they want they want you to think is Charlie Sheen approaches the door of the house and knocks on it. But before the door opens, I think a stage light falls on him. It's no, it's a him. piano. A piano drops on him. Oh, a piano drops because, of course, That's he played the piano. Hilarious! And then it <laughs> zooms out of the of the set, and Chuck Law, Chuck Lorre, is sitting there in his director's chair, and he looks towards the camera and says, "Winning!" And then a piano falls on him. And I also want to point out this was like 2012 when "Winning" hadn't been a relevant Charlie Sheen meme for five years by that um, point. This so. was this is 2015, actually, OJ. Uh, <laughs> so even, even worse. Even Holy worse. shit! Holy I gotta shit. find this on YouTube. That sounds fucking awesome. It also <laughs> that is bananas. We need to rank our favorite Charlie Sheen crush to death <laughs> scenes. Begs, <laughs> there's there's two to choose from. So far, number one for me would be the scene at the end of 9-11, but that is pending having seen the other big Charlie Sheen being crushed scene. I just want to say that entire anecdote made me wonder, like, how did John Cryer feel through all this? Because by what little I know of him, he seems like a fairly ordinary guy who was just caught in between, you know, a bizarre power struggle between Chuck Law and Charlie Sheen. And then also his presumptive or, you know, his on-screen son, Leaves the show halfway through to become a born again Christian. John Cryer must have been going to work like fuck. I'm the only thing keeping it together, and I don't know why. Yeah. He can cry into his money. I know that he probably, I'm assuming, got upset about the amount of money that I assume Charlie Sheen was uh, putting up his nose as a result of his paycheck mm. on Two and a Half Men. But John Cryer would have been making fucking bank. Oh, yeah. Like that show got crazy ratings. Yeah. Also, it helped unearth Melanie Linsky to the the wider public, which mm. is uh, a true. great gift. Even a broken show is right twice a casting or something like <laughs> Pretty that. Good. Can I share another quote that I got out of that um, Hollywood Reporter interview with Charlie Sheen yeah, about this film? Yeah. I know I got a lot of heat for the opinions I had that weren't just my own, Sheen told the reporter <laughs> oh early in the interview. <laughs> I was not just coming up with stuff about 9-11. I was parroting those a lot smarter and a lot more experienced than myself who had very similar questions. 
If I offended anyone, I apologize. If, if I offended <laughs> anyone, I apologize. And if I inspired someone, then so be <laughs> is it. it. There are still. <laughs> is it possible that the current president of the United States made his way to power partially by borrowing from the Charlie Sheen playbook? Because contained <laughs> in that Hollywood Reporter mm. quote are like so many sort of like deflections or. Oh, yeah. You know. Well, famously, Trump went on uh, Infowars with Alex Jones just before he got elected. Like, this was, I think, past the, the primary. Other Alex Jones. Hey? <laughs> the other Alex Jones, not me. Yeah. Yeah, the, the better <laughs> Alex Jones. I, I, I knew this would come up. I knew it would come up. And I was like, oh, God, yeah. we're going to talk about my more famous counterpart. The further left-wing Alex Jones. <laughs> the rest of that quote, by the way, just to finish it off, there are still a couple of things just rooted in simple physics that beg some measure of inquiry. I was in contact with a lot of family members and they were in contact with a lot of my questions. Now that you- to me reads as Charlie Sheen, who at the time, I think we know this for like, it's all confirmed now was on a lot of meth at the time <laughs> and is just fucking ringing his very famous dad going like, dad, we're going to talk about 9-11. <laughs> We're going to look at these buildings. I got these movies. Let's change. You got to see them. And his dad's just going, Charlie, you know what? You're right. Let's sit down. Let's talk about it. Maybe at this nice facility. Maybe these gentlemen can help you into the van. <laughs> Let's discuss. I can't totally tee off on Charlie Sheen. Uh, if only because this hearing you discuss all that brought sort of in a lightning bolt moment brought back, a me- brought back a memory from when I used to host a TV show on New Zealand television with Joseph Moore uh, called Fail Army. And <laughs> it was like Tosh.0, America's Funniest Home Videos. And we would host three interstitials amongst these videos, an episode. And in one of the episodes, we said that uh, we were trapped on an island. And so we'd called in some of our celebrity friends to host the episode. And that was just because Joseph Moore had a book full of celebrity masks. And in the episode, this is crazy to think. Everyone, all the all the famous people just had our flat New Zealand accents. But in the episode, at one point, um, it was being hosted by Taylor Swift and Justin Bieber. And one of the interstitials <laughs> entirely was Justin Bieber saying that jet fuel can't melt steel beams. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so while I disagree with Charlie Sheen's stance on all of this stuff and uh, you know, fundamentally it seems to be with a lot of the decisions he's made as a person, um, I'm sort of just trying to get out in front of the story here, I guess. I don't, I don't want anyone digging up that footage and holding it in front of me and saying, hey, guys, <laughs> you're also a 9-11 truther. Could we maybe do a quick whip around the room of our high and low light of <laughs> the film? I thought you were going to say on whether or not we thought 9-11 actually happened. <laughs> uh, that, again, we could probably say for a different Keep podcast. They're, they're probably a- I'm, I'm, I'm happy to help. Uh, my number, my high would be when... Uh, Someone was being rude to Charlie Sheen's character and his wife stuck up for him by saying he reads a lot and the other <laughs> character saying how much and she said six newspapers a day, including Sundays. <laughs> and that alone would be enough to carry any movie. But as a sweetener, Charlie Sheen after says, says afterwards, more or less like looking to the side of the actor straight down to the barrel of the camera, he goes, it's those crosswords. <laughs> Uh, I love that. And then my low would be the firemen in this movie set on 9-11 in the World Trade Center 
asking whether or not they can use the elevators uh, to <laughs> to help save people. I'm like, I thought that was probably the most commonly shared information in the world, that in the event of a fire, <laughs> elevators are off limits, and yet these people who, if anyone, should be carrying this information at the forefront of their minds, you know, I suppose it's to feed Whoopi Goldberg a few more lines, but um, <laughs> really took me out of the world of the show, the movie. My highlight was when they're in the elevator and Luis Guzman's character, Eddie, is talking to Charlie Sheen's character, Jeffrey, about how he owns a jet and all the sort of things, that all the things you can do as a billionaire that, like, a lowly custodial manager would probably care about, you know, the, the high life. And um, Charlie Sheen says to him, why do you care about money so much? <laughs> um, which is an interesting thing for a man richer than than... Uh, Luis Guzman's character will ever be to say to him. Uh, my low light was that um, Whoopi Goldberg's character, Metsy, she has to leave the building. <laughs> and she's had a modicum of a character arc in this film, right? Enough to. She's, she's second billing. She might be top billing, actually, above Sheen. I'm not sure. Um, and she she's, she sort of leaves a very somber message to them because she doesn't know if they can hear them because the elevator that she's talking to has just dropped. And she's like, i got to go. I'm sorry. Um, and then um, Eve, Charlie Sheen's uh, not-quite ex-wife, uh, gets out of the elevator. They punch a hole in the wall and she climbs out. And as she's leaving to try and get help to help everyone else out of the elevator, she passes Metsy, Whoopi Goldberg's character. And I was like, oh, of course, she's gonna Metsy's going to be the only person who's able to help so it all all the characters converge again no mitzi's never seen again in the film we don't even revisit <laughs> she eve finds just a random fireman who's like yeah sure i'll help and that's it yeah. we never see mitzi again we never get a a um character re- resolution between the main characters that i'm not going to say i wanted because i didn't even want to be watching the movie but felt just kind of obvious like that's obviously what what should happen and the fact that they like cross paths means that whoever wrote this film was three seconds of of stream of consciousness away from reaching that same conclusion but just missed it like like i the ideas were like ships passing in the night and i reckon uh, i reckon it was in the script and (laughs) i want to trawl through the back catalog of the view episodes to see the one where Whoopi goldberg runs onto set still wearing her costume from 9-11 covered in stage dust and building crumble and says hello everyone i'm Whoopi goldberg welcome to the view <laughs> famously how they begin every episode yeah, yeah. Even, yeah even when she's not there they get ted dancing in blackface to pretend to be Whoopi goldberg <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a deep cut um <laughs> um so my um my my favorite parts of the film were um watching charlie sheen try to give what i'm sure he thought was like an oscar worthy performance um Mm. because there were scenes like like aj mentioned where they punch the hole through the wall and his soon-to-be ex-wife soon-to-be widow um climbs out and he says she's like no everyone like climb up and he says um no just go run as fast as you fucking can but he's so overcome with emotion that he says <laughs> and it's like just this guttural, 
growl and he like <laughs> shakes his head from left to right and it's and then there's also a scene i think it's his final scene um just before the firefighter gets there when everyone manages to get out of the elevator but then it falls a little bit so that the gap is no longer big enough to get him out and he's he's giving a goodbye and i was like watching it i was like oh he's trying to cry this is him <laughs> him trying to act um and it was just it was fun it was like watching a, a baby deer take its first steps but instead of but it was acting instead of walking um <laughs> and uh, it was it was it was equal parts painful and also like yeah good on you charlie you you tried oh, good, good job dude yeah yeah well, you almost looked like you were crying <laughs> Um, and then as for my, my low point of the film, <laughs> the, the, my high points were the bits I hated the most, um, <laughs> but the low points, um, anytime it cut back to um, Charlie Sheen's mother-in-law um, and their kid, uh, two of the worst actors in the film. Um, no, when, they're definitely the worst actors in the film. Oh, yeah. When, when, the, when <laughs> they find out that like they're stuck in the World Trade Center on 9-11, the kid goes... But you said we were going to go to the park, like with all, with the the stone cold delivery you'd expect out of like The Shining, um, and then the maybe that child didn't actually want to go to the park, but was going to the park because that's what his nan wanted to do, and so mm. that delivery in that respect was actually pitch perfect because they were communicating a much more nuanced and fleshed out backstory. Dan had been afforded to them in the script. Mm. Why do you fucking think about this that? This coming from the guy who chastised me for trying to defend aspects <laughs> of this film? Jesus Christ, Monty, pick a part. <laughs> it's now 12% on Ron Tomatoes, thanks to you, guy. Thank you, <laughs> 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 All right, what about you, Tom? Um, well, my highlight, Monty said, it was the six newspapers <laughs> a day. It was the funniest attempt at exposition or, or sort of um adding dimensions to a character it was just so ham-fisted and so hilarious to me um low lights included seeing matt lauer on screen again uh, just to be reminded that that piece of shit exists because he is a, a property owner in new zealand he owns land here um confirmed baddie matt lauer. Is he in the film um he, he was matt lauer he was in yeah. archival news footage. Oh, he was right. a sex pest in the film. Okay. <laughs> okay thank you for that. And he, and he played the character pretty well, convincingly. Uh, that guy went method. <laughs> and that um, guttural noise that you were talking about before, Richard, that is uttered by Charlie Sheen, was repeated again, which makes me think maybe it was a directorial note <laughs> by um, the pill-popping woman. Did you guys make note of that bit where she, she instructs everyone to lay yeah. down? I think Eve's gotten out of there. The cable has broken, so they are bracing themselves. And she goes, everybody lay down. <laughs> like full Ben Affleck Batman style. It was such a strange delivery. And then Charlie Sheen goes, they say it's not the fall that kills you. It's the sudden stop at the end. Which, like, if I'm in that situation and someone says that, I'll be like, shut the fuck up, man. Like, don't even <laughs> yeah. talk about uh, that. Nah, you fucking I idiot. thought when he said that, I was like, if I was in that lift and I did that line, I would be, I would crash. I would have got a big laugh. <laughs> Everyone would tell you to fucking eat it, dude. You would lose every just, friend you had made in the elevator. I just want to put in a bonus moment. It's not really a highlight or a low light. Maybe a highlight was um, when Charlie Sheen is making sort of uh, 
bandana, like, you know, breathing cloths for everyone because the elevator is starting to be filled with noxious mm. fumes. Uh, and the, the, I can't, Eddie, the, the, it's Louise Guzman. Yeah. Louise Edwin. Guzman. Yeah. He says, uh, well, this is the most expensive thing I've ever touched. Italian. Yeah. Was this Italian? And then, <laughs> uh, Charlie Sheen says, no. American made. Oh, he says to Brandon, and then he goes, American made. And I was like, just in case we weren't clear whose side we're meant to be on in this movie, it's America's, all right? Yeah. America yeah, yeah. Just is the real they're... hero. <laughs> hey, what, just uh, as a closing note as well, another, um, because I focused so much on the productions, I feel like that was the energy I was bringing to this watch, was just focusing on the production. I like that despite the fact that this was a one-room movie, which is quite unique in the in the sort of um, medium of cinema. You do it in plays, you do it in sitcoms. Not often do you attempt a feature film mm. inside one room. They still managed to fuck up the sound. Because mm. like in all the wide shots, they were obviously still using a boom and you just heard this massive reverb and echo of everyone's voices because they had to pull the microphone back so much. Yeah, so it was fuck him shot. up, Tim. And I was like, could, fuck could him this up, movie... Tim. Could this movie that was directed by a sound engineer not afford some fucking lapels? He was Come also on. he was busy working on the catering as well, dude. He took a lot on, all right? <laughs> um, well, I'd just like to say from the bottom of my heart, a massive fuck you to the three of you for deciding to do this and then involving me. Um, I give the movie... One star out of five. Okay. This is a three out of five from me, and there is absolutely no reason why anyone should ever watch it. It's just <laughs> oh, there's yeah. no reason to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a two star from me. I think I'm sticking to that. Maybe one and a half. Um, although I, Guy yeah. pointed out some some good things about the film, um, <laughs> despite his own opinions. Yeah, I think it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a one star from me. Oh, there you go. Thank you, AJ. Mm. I was going to say, even a bad movie is right twice a watch no not this yeah. case some shit it'd be i think it's just it's the inherent um comedy of casting a actor who's either well, more well known for comedy or more well known for being like an insane drug addict in a movie about a, a topic <laughs> as sensitive as this i think that that is literally the first step of production and you've already gone wrong and P- I think that's picking picking a nine eleven truther to headline mm. your nine eleven movie is almost as genius a move as getting Mel Gibson to direct a biblical film. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, just good stuff all around. Well, I've I've had a great time. Before we wrap up this conversation, I just want to quickly say for the listener and for you, AJ, that you have had uh, some sort of food in your. Oh beard my god! Thank for you. The entirety good. of the oh, record. Man. So. Just while everyone sort of signs off to listen, I just want you to retroactively imagine that AJ's had food in his bed. <laughs> it's not the whole actually time. food. What is it? And while we're wrapping, it's, it's like what is it? <laughs> it's just ripped up paper that I've been sort of that you've been eating. I would, have, <laughs> I would have just left everyone thinking it's <laughs> <Yeah>. food. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>, so <laughs> look, we can all point out funny things I, about our our each individual Zoom screening. Right. Guy, you've hey, you've slowly funny. sunk sunk further back in the screen. There was a there was a point before where I could just see the top <laughs> of your head and then complete void. It's called it's called dive. Diversity of shots, AJ. <laughs> Something you'd do well to read about. <laughs> let me 
Let me um, let me bring the the tone and friendliness back up by um, shouting out once again uh, AJ's fantastic video on the <laughs> Colt Popshire um, YouTube stream mm. about American Pie, the franchise, which has a new entry coming in 2020. Yeah. A prospect almost as insane as the film 911 mm-hmm. coming out in 2016. <laughs> um, you should definitely watch it. It's a really great, well-made uh, video essay by AJ. Thank and you. Richard, did you have anything to do with it, or are you just riding some t- coattails? Uh, I, I helped with the writing. It's really great. Richard has a very important role where where I send him my script and he tells me everything that Reddit commenters will point out when I post it, um, <laughs> which sounds small but is an invaluable uh, part of the process. So yeah, Richard there's is like very whole paragraphs you've had to cut, and I'm like, people are going to tear this to shreds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Great, great. So- uh, well, I for one would like to see Richard present that video, the one of the abandoned <laughs> paragraphs. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe we'll chuck it up on the Patreon. <laughs> I'm going to leave and get on with the rest of my day. I don't want to think about 9-11 for at least another few months, yeah. uh, either the event or the film. So everyone, um, stay safe out there, wash your hands, mm. and enjoy the life you have, which hopefully does not have Charlie Sheen in yeah, so, And next time there's some kind of uh, global incident, uh, we'll come back together and do it. We'll make this I a series. I am not reuniting with you guys in 11 years to talk about COVID-19. I'm sorry, it's just not on the table. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.